The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. I'm sure you've seen the lights going up already in this beginning of the holiday season. Lights, they're everywhere at this time of year. The flicker of menorah candles, the blinking of ropes of colorful Christmas lights, the glow of Christmas candles and illuminated angels and Santas, the seven candles of the American, African-American Kwanzaa celebration, Yule logs blazing in fireplaces, solstice celebrations with candles. Many cultures in the Northern Hemisphere, past and present, have held their light-filled celebrations at this darkest time of the year, approaching the winter solstice. Today, as our days grow darker, I would like to talk about light. Not physical light, but light as a metaphor, a metaphor of the spiritual dimension of life. Light as a symbol of the awakening or reawakening of a sense of wonder and hope, which can come to us even in the midst of darkness and pain. The novelist John Cheever once defined religion as the pursuit of radiance. This definition appeals to me. Religion as I see it is not a set of creeds or dogmas. It is not the saying of prescribed prayers or the following of a particular ritual or tradition. These may be the means to a religious life, an awakened life, but they are not the religious light itself. For me, the word radiance captures an elusive quality of life that I believe people seek, knowingly or not, and that some of the great religious leaders of history have found and tried to teach about. Radiance. A person who is spiritually awake can see and feel the radiance of things, how each part of the universe is connected with the whole, how our lives are deeply interwoven with the lives of other beings, how love and passion and emotional experience infuse life with a sense of meaning and purpose, how art and poetry and music capture a piece of this radiance and present it to our hungry senses, how our actions help improve the world and bring us out of our small selves and connect us with the lives and the well-being 
of others. I would venture to say that we've all at least had glimpses of this radiance. Metaphorically speaking, most of us live much of our lives in a kind of darkness, perhaps doing and accomplishing much, but not really being aware and present to ourselves and the world, not seeing the miraculous, which is right there in the commonplace stuff of our lives. Occasionally, though, the darkness, the light breaks through the darkness. Sylvia Plath, a poet whose personal life certainly was one of struggle and pain, was still able to perceive the radiance at times. As this poem of hers suggests, it's titled Black Rook in Rainy Weather, and my version here is slightly excerpted. On the stiff twig up there hunches a wet black rook, arranging and rearranging its feathers in the rain. I do not expect miracle or an accident to set the sight on fire in my eye, nor seek any more in the desultory weather some design. Although I admit, I desire occasionally some back talk from the mute sky. I cannot honestly complain. A certain minor light may still leap incandescent out of kitchen table or chair, as if a celestial burning took possession of the most obtuse objects now and then, thus hallowing an interval, otherwise inconsequent. By bestowing largesse, honor, one might say love. At any rate, I now walk wary, for it could happen even in this dull, ruinous landscape, skeptical yet polite, ignorant of whatever angel may choose to flare suddenly at my elbow. I only know that a rook ordering its black feathers can so shine as to seize my senses, haul my eyelids up. Miracles occur if you care to call these spag spasmodic tricks of radiance miracles. The wait's begun again, the long wait for the angel, for that rare random descent. Sylvia Plath here uses poignant imagery of light and vision, the celestial burning that can make something as ordinary as a kitchen table glow with radiance, the angel that flares suddenly at my elbow, the shining bird feathers that can haul my eyelids up. These tricks of radiance 
that come at random. Perhaps this sudden flaring of an angel has happened to you, awakening you to the miracle and mystery of being. Perhaps it was like this. On a clear winter night, you are out walking alone, turning over in your mind all the things you have to do, all the deadlines that await you. And then you happen to look up and there's Orion in the sky, that great constellation you have known since childhood, with the three bright stars in his belt shimmering. And you feel momentarily transported out of yourself and your mundane concerns, and lifted up to a sense of being one with something larger. This is radiance. Or maybe something has gone wrong in your life. Someone has hurt you, or money troubles are upsetting you, or someone you love or yourself are seriously ill, and you've got what a therapist I know calls a case of the three AMs. You toss and turn at night, you fret and worry by day, and your life feels like a giant bleeding wound. But oddly, every now and then, maybe only once or twice while you're in this tunnel of despair, you feel a lightness, a surprising buoyancy, even a bit of joy, and you know that you have a core of strength within you, and maybe a source of strength outside of you. Call it God, or the Tao, or the ground of being, or the great mystery. And this strength is something that you know you can fall back on. Something says to you, you will get through this. This is radiance. Perhaps you've just read the newspaper and you are brooding about the sorry state of the world. Things look bleak. People are suffering. Children are hungry. Young black men sometimes die in violence, sometimes even at the hands of police. You see selfishness and cynicism all about and the values you cherish are being ignored, threatened. And the pandemic goes on and goes on and goes on. And it all just gets you down. While you're ruminating about all of this, an angel flares at your elbow in the form of a child coming near to hug you or to ask you for help, or the angel is your spouse or partner or friend speaking kindly to you, or you just suddenly think of someone you care about and you are transformed, transported on a beam of love out of your dark gloom. This 
is radiance. The experience of radiance obviously does not make the pain of the world or the pain of your life go away. It is still there, but you are somehow stronger to cope. And you may also feel inspired to try to help in some way. The experience of radiance can chase away the demon of cynicism. It can help us to choose to light a candle rather than just curse the darkness. And the action you take out of this transcendent feeling, this act of love, is itself radiance. It is as if the universe is infused with this radiance, which flares into our awareness now and then. Some have personified it and called it God. Others love or the goddess or the web of existence. Some give it an impersonal name, the ultimate, the ground of being, the Tao. Some don't name it at all. Skeptics may deny it, and yet I believe that they are nourished by it also. To me, it seems that the poets, more than the philosophers and theologians, can convey something of the essence of this light, this experience of radiance, as in this poem by Richard Eberhardt, also slightly excerpted, The Incomparable Light. The light beyond compare is the light I saw. I saw it on the mountaintops, the light beyond compare, I saw it in childhood, too. I glimpsed it in the turbulence of growing. I saw it in political action. Elusive element, final mystery, the light beyond compare has been my visitant, some sort of angel sometimes at my shoulder a beckoning guide, elusive nevertheless, under the mind where currents of being are running. It is this strange light I come back to, agent of truth, protean, a radical of time. The light beyond compare is my meaning. It is the secret source of my beginning, issuance of uniqueness, signal upon suffering. It is the subtle flash that tells our song, inescapable humanhood of the living, our mystery of time, the only hopeful light. John Cheever spoke about the pursuit of radiance, the pursuit of radiance. So how can we pursue, or at least open ourselves up to, this kind of enriching and sustaining experience? How can we learn to see or feel the radiance of the universe, the light beyond compare? It would seem as if it only comes unbidden, 
like a gift. And it does come this way, flaring like an angel, sometimes when we least expect it. But I believe this kind of seeing is also something we can try to make ourselves more open to. As the writer Annie Dillard says, I cannot cause light. The most I can do is try to put myself in the path of its beam. There are many ways that people have tried to put themselves in the path of this light of insight and awareness. You can follow any number of spiritual disciplines, yoga, prayer, ritual, some form of meditation, journal writing, creating or appreciating art, walking in nature, or some other physical activity. For myself, I find that a brief daily period of quiet meditation helps me to be more receptive to the tricks of radiance that may come my way. I sometimes use a favorite line of poetry as a kind of centering chant. I have also found the writings and meditative exercises of the Vietnam Zen teacher Thich Nhat Hanh to be helpful, especially his book, The Blooming of a Lotus, which offers simple breathing and meditation exercises, including particularly helpful ones for dealing with the agitation, anger, and sense of separation we all sometimes feel. There are many such tools available for the spiritual quest, for pursuing radiance. Actually, no books or tools or specific exercises are even needed. Just sitting in silence for a few minutes may be of help. As Thich Nhat Hanh puts it, quoting an ancient Buddhist scripture, you only need to sit. To sit and be present to the moment, not waiting for a miracle, just being. A simple practice, yet few of us give ourselves this gift on any regular basis. We seem to think we're just too busy. Well, the holidays are here, and even in the pandemic, stores are crowded and the traffic is thick, and we are terribly busy. Yet maybe we can give ourselves one simple gift this holiday season, the gift of quietude and a bit of unscheduled time so that we may have eyes to see the celestial burning, the flaring of angels, the glowing radiance of all that is. I close with the words of an Inuit Indian song. As I thought over again my small adventures as with a store as shore wind I drifted out in my kayak, I thought I was in danger. My fears, those small ones that I thought so big for all the vital things I had to get and to reach, 
And yet there is only one great thing, the only thing, to live to see in huts and on journeys, the great day that dawns and the light that fills the world. I cannot recall my age when I realized people were beacons of God's light. Pretty young if memory serves me. I mean, they taught us in school that we operate on a kind of electrical system. Where that electricity came from, heart and brain, was a source of great mystery to me. My younger self devoured books voraciously, and in my general understanding of what makes most people tick, I came to the realization, too, that we are all interconnected in a mysterious, even magical way. In 1971, I ran away from home to New York City. I had a sort of built-in support system there from a cross-racial, cross-church Baptist camp I'd attended years previous. As such, I was taken in by a lovely church lady and her family and stayed with them in the Robert F. Wagner houses in East Harlem about a month. I used to sneak into Broadway plays during the intermission. It was relatively easy to just pick up a discarded ticket stub and mosey on in when they flickered the lights to get everyone's attention. It was there at an intermission of hair that I recognized a former apprentice master from the Bull Barn Theater in Bullsburg, Pennsylvania, Jerry Bartell. He in turn introduced me to several members of Jesus Christ Superstar and then I ended up staying with them a few months until my grocery store stock boy salary could afford me my own place. During this time I fell head over heels with the New York theater scene from Broadway on down in seating capacity to off off Broadway. I wound up seeing the show Jesus Christ Superstar a total of 29 times since they let me in free. And I got to know most of the cast fairly well. Once I knew the show, I came to love watching the interactions of the chorus and the business they would mime in large crowd scenes, as well as the sort of light they would emit individually and collectively, especially while singing. One afternoon, the two small priests, Michael Meadows and Alan Bronstein, ran up to me and excitedly asked me, hadn't I done some technical theater work in the past? Seems a cousin of a cast member who ran lights had inadvertently left the lighting up all night and burned out the system. They said if I could get it fixed by their midnight showing of the King's Crown, I'd have a job for the run of the show. My best friend from high school, Jason Armstrong, just happened to be visiting, and together we not only fixed the lighting board at the St. Clement's Church Theater, but with all the extra time before the showtime, we decided to overhaul the rather plain up and down lighting of the show and added all kinds of special effects, such as punching holes in Mountain Dew cans to create a forest effect on the floor. When the midnight show came about, I asked Alan if I could play around with the lighting during the show, and he said they'd love it. Well, I felt like a creature of light up there in that lighting booth as I manipulated the now repaired boards, rheostats, and dimmers, adding mood, and I hoped depth, to the show, an already lovable musical fairy tale. That Christmas of 71, I'll never forget. The casts of both Hare and Jesus Christ Superstar came marching together from their respective theaters, and we converged on Times Square singing both Christmas carols and anti-war songs about Vietnam. There I discovered that the rays of light which emanate from people seem more sharply defined, shinier, brighter, when a sincere social cause is involved. I'd learned the essence of this in liberal religious youth groups and in my own Baptist church. 
In that Times Square moment, my worlds blended. Theater, social change, and exploring our interconnectedness under the lights of Broadway. 